Last week, we heard about one of three initiatives of our Thrive Plan. Remember what Thrive stands for. We're working on that, first of all. Remember, you can say it together with me because, well, it's right in front of you. Tapping heaven's resources to ignite vital expansion. Amen to that. Thrive is a pathway that Central Christian Church is going to be using over the next three years and it is basically three ways we're going to be reaching. Last week we talked about reaching the next generation. We're going to speak about reaching for the lost and also about reaching for Jesus. Together as a church family today, we are going to hear about the reach for the lost. And I get to speak about that first. And then we're going to hear from the task group leader who is working on that specific initiative. And that's Brian Rodert, our uh, illustrious Connections Minister. 1999 at a conference in Houston, Texas, there was a speaker, Marty Ensign, who had been a missionary to Africa. And she spoke about bringing some African ministers along with her to visit the United States for some big meeting that they were at. And the visitors with her wanted to go shopping on their free time. They they, this was all new to them, and they wanted to experience all they could. And even though it was a fairly small town, and they were not at all familiar with the culture, they ventured out. And Marty knew that they might have some difficulty as they did that, or might get lost, not being familiar with the town. So she gave them all her phone number, just in case. And sure enough, about an hour later, the phone rang. And here's one of these ministers on the other end of the phone. I am lost. Marty said, well, lay down the phone, go to the street corner, find out the names of the two streets at the corner, come back and tell me, and I'll come and get you. And in a few minutes, he returned to the phone, and his voice was there. He told her, I am at the corner of walk and don't walk. I've got some other funny true-to-life lost stories, too. I just don't have time to tell them this morning. <laughs> Ask me sometime about the first time we let our daughter go out with a cell phone by herself with the car. I also know, though, that most lost stories aren't very funny. They can be very devastating. There's something about the word lost, in fact, that if you stop and think about it, conjures up images of crying children and being in the midst of a raging blizzard or out in the middle of the desert without hope. And here we are using this word lost today to talk about one of the three main initiatives of our three-year strategic plan and it's with that word in mind, I'd like you to take up your Bibles this morning, please, and open up to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke, chapter 15, is one of the great chapters of the Bible that's specifically about something. Luke, chapter 15, is the chapter about lost things. And in that, Jesus tells three specific stories that we really just need to read to speak about them any further this morning. So bear with me, read along, picture in your mind as Jesus gave these words through Luke. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. 
What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one, one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Three stories about three lost things. A sheep, a coin, a son. And I want to consider three important parts of these three stories all together. They've got these things in common. All three of them have a lost thing thing is a theological technical word, a lost thing. Each of them has it. This lost subject, the, co the coin, is this inanimate object. It's lost, so we really don't have much feeling for that poor coin. It's not lonely. It's not scared. But a lost sheep, that's a different story. 
Lost sheep may or may not know they're lost. In either way, they're just as lost, and they're in just as much danger when they are lost. They're not very fast. They're not very bright. They don't have claws. They don't have fangs. And apparently, they taste good. That's a bad combination. And that's one reason they're supposed to stay with the other sheep. A lost sheep is a bad situation. A lost son is even sadder. If as a child you were ever lost for a short time, you understand what that feels like, remember? Whether it was down the wrong aisle in the grocery store or off the trail somewhere out in the mountains, it's scary. And in the story that Jesus told, the lost son wouldn't have called himself lost, even though he was. He had tossed aside his family relations. By the way, there are some details in the story that Jesus left out, like how that son had to turn against his father, how that son had to make an emotional tear that enabled him to leave his home the way that he did. He had to put away some common sense. He had to release himself of his moral restraints. And then when the money ran out, so did his friends. So did his hope. And at some point, Jesus says, he came to himself. And I think it was then, if you could interview that son, that he would probably tell you that one who had thrown away so much, he too was lost. And here's something I notice about all three of these things, even they're so different from each other. Whether they realize it or not, whether they are even able to realize it or not, all three of them are equally lost. They're in danger of not being found or of never finding their way back. And I wonder, is it reading too much into these three stories that Jesus told to suggest that the Lord wants us to care about lost people for that very reason? Or could that be the whole point of these three stories? There's the lost things in these stories, and in all three stories there is also what I'm calling the searcher. Who is the searcher in all three of these stories? If you wanted to say what they're all about, who really is the one who is searching? It's God. These stories are about the heart of God for lost things. Only it's not sheep or coins or just prodigal sons. It's all lost people because our God desires for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance because unless it's interrupted by a right relationship with God, people are headed on a collision course with hell forever. Do you believe it? It seems that Jesus wants us to know that and to have that same passion that the searcher has in all three of these stories. The searcher is God. 
And it's the concern that leaves the 99 other sheep and goes looking for the one. It's the seriousness that drops everything and conducts a housewide search for the coin. It is the love that waits anxiously at the end of the road, hoping, wondering, when will the son come home? And then welcomes him with open arms. And if that doesn't make it clear enough to us, there is a third element in these stories. There is a lost thing. There is a searcher. And there is a party. All three stories, look at them. When the lost thing is found, the searcher calls together friends, neighbors, the household, and says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. There's a party. Jesus says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one person who repents than over 99 who don't need to. So the searcher throws a party, and it's not a private party. He invites others to come and celebrate, even if one of them is a jealous older brother who doesn't think that the found son deserves a party. So, When we talk about reaching the lost for Jesus as Central Christian Church, we are talking about, I'm going to use a word that I hope you recognize, igniting a party in heaven that the Lord is inviting us to share with him. Isn't that great news? We're not talking about a sad thing this morning. We're talking about doing something that gives a reason for rejoicing in heaven. And God invites us to be a part of it. Well, I guess that's okay. (laughs) Come on, Eeyore. Maybe you're not the partying type. Neither was the lost son's older brother. And if that's you, then listen to the words of the Father as he entreats you to care about what he cares about, to care for the lost, and to rejoice with him. All right, I'm going to ask Brian Rodert to make his way up here. Brian is our connections minister. He is heading up the evangelism task force. And he's come to share with us some of the ways that we as a church family can all reach together and bring people home. I love my little brown Jeep. You guys seen my little brown Jeep before, right? Some of the guys in the church call it my Barbie Jeep because the tires are too small, but what do they know? Um, The Jeep is almost as old as my kids. Uh, It's an old car. Um, I haven't done any maintenance. Well, I've done maintenance on it, but I've done one repair. I had to change the starter, and it was thunk right there. It was the easiest repair I've ever had in my life. But it has this tiny little flaw. Well, it's, it's super cold in the winter because there's so many, uh, you know, little holes for wind to get in and stuff. But a tiny little flaw is that uh, it drives really, really crooked. If I want to drive straight down the road and stay in the lane that I'm in, the steering wheel isn't even close to straight. It's more like 45 degree angle, right? The uh, alignment has drifted a little bit in my little brown Jeep, but I'm used to it. I don't even notice it anymore, you know? I I, I don't ever look down and think, oh my goodness, my wheel isn't, you know, pointed in the direction that I want to be going. It just works, right? I'm used to it. 
I'm definitely, someday I'm going to have to get the alignment fixed, but I'm not doing it myself because the thing is a rust bucket and it would be the hardest repair in the world with hand tools. But I will tell you who does notice. My son Trey. He loves that Jeep. And every time he comes home from college, he wants to drive the Jeep. And inevitably, he comes home and he's like, Dad, this, if the alignment is so off in that thing. Oh, it's fine. It's no big deal, right? No, Dad, like the wheel is pointing this way in order to go straight. Oh, it's fine. It's no big deal. He notices it because he doesn't drive it every day, right? He goes to college, comes back in a couple of months, and notices that Dad has not done the alignment on the Jeep yet. For me, it's just one little Rockford pothole at a time that slowly my Jeep gets out of alignment, right? For Trey, the shift is clear as day. He gets in the car and says, the steering wheel is not pointed in the right way. Churches are like old brown Jeeps. Over time, it is easy for our alignment to drift. And pretty soon, even if you think that you're driving in a straight line, you're actually moving off in the wrong direction. You guys have all heard by now about this famous meeting that we had with uh, Gary Johnson and E2. We got some people in the church and the leaders of the church together to talk to this guy to basically have us work through who we are as a church and who we want to be as a church. I found the process fascinating because we had all these pieces of paper all over the wall and he's writing a mile a minute uh, to try and get us to unpack. Well, here are the things that Central actually thinks are important. Here are the things that we wish were important. And it was, after you ever have one of those all-day meetings where you get done and your brain is just kind of numb and you can't think anymore? That's what it was like uh, for all of us in the room. And I will never forget, we got to the end and we're looking at next generation, evangelism and discipleship. It's on like three sheets of paper. And the thought occurred to me, Gary, I asked the guy, Gary, the guy that led this whole process, when you do this with other churches, like, what do they come up with? You know, how, like, are we way off base? Are we just like everybody else? Like, where are we at? And I don't want to misquote the percentage because I can't quite remember it, but basically he said 95% of the churches that he goes through this exact same process with come to the exact same conclusions that we come, came to. Huh. I wish he would have said that at the beginning, and then we wouldn't have had the whole meeting, right? But I think we had to go through the process of figuring out what it is, what it is, what it means to be a church and how are we going to do things that are important? Last week, Brian Beck, our youth and family minister, he gave us some uh, statistics that are kind of alarming about the next generation. I love Brian Beck because of this. He looks at these alarming, depressing statistics about what it's going to take to reach young people, and he doesn't let, him, doesn't let it get him down, right? I look at some of that stuff and I think, oh my word. Like, the next generation is incredibly different than me. Boy, we're going to have to change tactics 180 degrees if we're going to reach the next generation. But I appreciate that he doesn't just say, oh, well, I guess we'll just skip that generation, right? Because if we do, if we as a church fail at reaching the next generation, we fail as a church. You all understand this, right? Like, we're not here anymore. This building ceases to exist. We sell it because the church didn't sustain itself. My job is to lead a group of people that is focused on outreach, reaching lost people. Beth Bailey's on the team. Sarah Jackamu's on the team. Lee Crenshaw, Heidi Rodert, and uh, little old me is uh, leading it. And our job is to figure out how we can grow in the area of outreach at Central. 
You guys remember my poorly aligned Jeep? Most churches would say that reaching lost people is an important part of who they are as a church. But when you really boil it down, most churches, central included, only grow when someone who is already a Christian joins their church. That is not growth, right? The capital C big church doesn't grow when someone leaves one church and comes to this church. The capital C church is net where it was before when that started. We looked at central in these meetings, and we realized it's been a really long time since we have got to witness that process of someone who was lost becoming found, and I miss it. I grieve that that has not happened in a long time at Central. I think it's because our church has become poorly aligned like my Jeep. Outreach and evangelism should be the most important part of our church, but it's just not. So what happened? Whose fault is it? You guys ready for this? This is my first one. I hate to even say it. COVID. I kind of think that COVID stopped outreach and evangelism, not just for us, but for everybody. I hate to blame it on a virus, right? I really do. But as I was thinking about it, I realized like when suddenly the world had cooties and all we did was try and stay away from each other, outreach and evangelism became very difficult. And we all thought like, how are we supposed to on Zoom like outreach? Like, I guess, I don't really know. So telling people about Jesus became super hard and, and we all did our best to get through it, right? And I think, I think we are through it, I hope so. But so once we are, since we are through it, I don't think I can use that as an excuse anymore, right? Brian Beck's statistics from last week. Younger generations are very, very different. They have very different priorities. They have different values. And it can be very tough to figure out how am I supposed to talk to them about Jesus in a way that they're going to hear. I was so impressed with how Brian said that we need to become students of their culture. It is a different culture, isn't it? My kids are not like me. Oh my goodness, they are not like me, right? So if I want to share Jesus with them, I have to learn their language. I have to learn their culture. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he said the exact same thing in the book of Corinthians. He was like a cultural chameleon, right? He said himself in his, his letter to the Corinthians, uh, it, when I was around Jews, I became like a Jew so that I could win Jewish people. When I, became, when I was around non-Jewish people, I became like a Jewish people so that I could win Jewish people. Right? He became like the people that he was around. Why? Because he was fake? Because he wanted to be liked? No. Because he wanted to eliminate obstacles. Right? He didn't want his own home culture to be an obstacle in reaching lost people for Jesus. At Central, we want to do the same thing. We want to eliminate unnecessary obstacles between lost people and Jesus. It could be something about our building. A re religious language, like the jargon that we all use, can become an obstacle to reaching lost people. Maybe it's a judgmental attitude that we have about people, about sinners who come into our building. Whatever the obstacle is, whether it's with a person from a younger generation or somebody that's our age or somebody twice our age, if there's any obstacle between that person and Jesus, we want to get rid of it. You know what I think the biggest obstacle is? This is the toe-stepping part. Fear. I think we're afraid to tell people about Jesus. 
I think we're afraid that we don't know enough. I hear that one a lot. I don't know enough. I need to go to a class. I need to have uh, Sherm sit down with me and tell me what to say. I think we're afraid that uh, the person is going to say, think we're weird. Not want to be our friend anymore because we won't leave them alone about Jesus. I think that we're afraid that the people that we hang around that don't know Jesus yet are going to rub off on us and get us all dirty. You know, Jesus himself spent an awful lot of time with sinners. Somehow he never got dirty. So I think a lot of our personal struggle on an individual level is fear. I think we're afraid. What are we going to do? Let's get rid of the excuses. Thrive Team has been wrestling with this issue. How do all of us do a better job of evangelism? I really believe that Jesus was serious. He was not joking. And he meant it even during COVID that we are supposed to go and make disciples. Now, one of our biggest goals as the uh, outreach team is to have a class on evangelism. And we really are serious that we want every single person in the church to be a part of this class. And it's going to be a very practical class. It's not going to be like uh, a boring... It's going to be like you are going to be asked to practice the things that you learn as you go through this class. And don't even try and skip the class. I'm very good at nagging people, and I will find you, because I really do. As a church, we want everybody to go through the class, because what we want you to do is, at the end of the 13-week class, we want you to go, okay, I can do this. This is not something for the paid professionals. I have what it takes to reach the people in my circle for Jesus. That's going to be the goal of this class. I've talked about this before. There's people in my circle of influence, the people that I'm friends with, that you all don't even know. And guess whose job it is to reach that person for Jesus? Yours? No, mine. You all have people in your circle that I don't know. Guess whose job it is to reach those people for Jesus? Yours. We don't get to come into each other's circles and influence your friends for Jesus. That's our job. And when we combine those efforts, right, when every single person sitting here, not sitting here, watching online, takes this seriously, can you imagine what Central is going to look like 12 months from now? We want everybody in the church, me included, to understand that it is my responsibility to be obedient to what God has asked us to do. You've heard previews of this before, but you're going to hear a lot of talk about your one person. Have you heard that before so far this year? When you hear the phrase one person, I want you to instantly think, who is the one person that God is asking me to share Jesus with this year? One person. If I have to think of every lost, people in my life, lost person in my life, I go, oh my word, it's too much. But if I have to think of one person, who is it that God has uniquely put me to tell about Jesus? Just like my Jeep gets out of alignment over time, if we don't talk about it a lot, our church drifts and we realize we don't even evangelize anymore. It's just how it is. The outreach, time wants to be, or outreach team wants to be a resource uh, for people uh, in the church for events and groups and studies. We want to make everything that we do, everything that we do as a church, be somehow connected to outreach. We remodel bathrooms. Why? So the staff can have a nice place to go to the bathroom during the week? No. We remodel bathrooms so that people who are outside don't come in and see an old, dated, dirty bathroom and think, oh, these people are old and dated and dirty, right? 
That's a very little thing. We do things like meet with a car show. Man, I tell you what, they have asked me about a million times, Brian, there's going to be a thousand people here for the car show. What do we do to reach those people for Jesus? Do you know how many times they've asked me that question? And as a team, we're wrestling with that. Like, what can we do? What resources can we give you? What volunteers do you need? What money do you need in order to make that happen? So that it's not just a show about cars. So that it's a show about lost people finding Jesus. The outreach team wants to pray a lot. You probably got an email this week. You should have gotten an email this week uh, inviting you to be a part of a prayer team. Uh, We are going to have a group of people whose job it is to pray for your success as you tell lost people, as you tell your one person about Jesus. Beth Bailey's the lady to see if you haven't responded to that email yet. You know, it's kind of interesting because part of our prayers is we are going to pray that we are obedient, not to the outreach team. (laughs) Don't listen to us but obedient to Jesus. I mean, isn't that what we're talking about? Are we going to do what Jesus asked us to do or aren't we? And if we're not, are we ready to stand before Jesus and say, no, I decided not to do that. I'm not. Finally, we're going to look at a lot of organizations here in town. We're going to see who's doing a really good job of that. And rather than inventing the wheel, we're going to partner alongside of them. We're going to give them the resources. We're going to give them the volunteers that they need so that they can reach lost people. I'm summarizing, I don't know how many pages, like three pages of goals into like two paragraphs. So I'm throwing it all at you to see what sticks. Here's the deal. Every one of our goals, every one without exception, falls apart if we as a church on an individual level decide not to be obedient we will accompl- the outreach team will fold up shop if every person in this room doesn't decide to take this seriously. If we say no to evangelism, we're not saying no to us, we're saying no to Jesus. If we are going to change how good a job we do at this as a church, it's going to take every single one of us deciding, me including, not to be afraid anymore. We're going to have to remember what it was like to live life outside of church and remember that we are rescuing people, yes, from hell, but we're rescuing them also from a hard way to live. Just day-to-day life without Jesus is hard, and we want to help save people from that. We're going to have to be willing to be the weirdos in our friend groups who are willing to put our reputations on the line to point people to Jesus every single one of us, we're going to have to do whatever it takes to get rid of every obstacle we can think of between, uh, between lost people and Jesus. Even when it's hard and even when it means that we don't get our own way, I have to sacrifice what I want so that lost people don't have any obstacles between them and Jesus. No more excuses, church. Starting today, we're doing a better job at evangelism at Central Christian Church. I know, I, I, I feel like I'm being harsh. I want you to know that I'm like whipping myself too. Like, I see that Brian Rodert also drifts like a little brown Jeep. I also forget that evangelism needs to be important in my life. And when all of us do that at the same time, well, then we're in trouble, aren't we? Do you all feel like the people around us need to know Jesus? Oh, please talk to me. Do you all feel like people need to know Jesus around us? Do you think that following Jesus is a better way to live? 
Is it a good thing to help people know that their eternity is secure? Yeah. Let's do it. All right, so if you see a little brown Jeep coming after you, either he didn't get the alignment fixed yet or Brian is going to pull you over and check how you're doing at this. When Jesus told this story, these three stories about lost things, it was in response to something that was going on. Jesus had openly made it a practice to spend time with people who were spiritually lost. He openly visited the outcasts of his day. He hung around with the riffraff. And so Luke 15 starts, I didn't read the first couple of verses, it starts with these words. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. That's why Jesus talked about lost things. There were some who didn't care about lost people. Jesus does. Jesus wanted to turn the hearts of people who had smothered their care for lost people. Those lost people were the very reason that Jesus had come to earth. And by the way, when we use the phrase lost people, we're talking about me and you before Jesus Christ was in our lives. When I was ministering in the town of Hillsborough, Ohio, I remember a non-member of that church who had been attending who came to me and complained to me about the people who attended the church, some of whom had had ugly lives in the past. This person was complaining to me, these people come to this church. They had been lost, but things were different now. And here was this person arguing to me that we had a flaw as a church family because of all of these kinds of people that were part of it. You know what I said? I said, praise God. What a great thing it would be if there were even more people like that here at our church family, their lives being transformed because Jesus was in their lives now. I hope more of them come. People whose lives had hit the bottom, people whose lives were now a testimony to the difference that God makes in them. I wish there were even more people whose lives weren't changed yet because it would be an indicator that we were doing what we were supposed to do. And they were coming to the right place, searching and learning for the very thing that they needed. And so, as we do what Brian has talked about this morning, and as they're lives of these people are transformed by Jesus here. If you ever find yourself ready to come and explain to me how there is something wrong because the church is beginning to be filled with lost people, I just want you to know ahead of time what kind of a response you're going to receive. And like Don DeWelt would say, God bless your shriveled up soul, brother. <laughs> <laughs> 
You think about this, you can bet that Satan's greatest efforts against the church are going to be at this point, at the point at which people pass over from death to life. The effort to find the lost. The 99 aren't going to receive near the attention that the one might, that might be found is going to receive in Jesus' economy. And it seems to me that our greatest attention, our greatest resources, our greatest effort, our greatest focus ought to be pointed there too, where it is needed the most, where Satan will oppose it the most. He's figured that out. We should figure that out. I ran across this quote from C.H. Spurgeon a few weeks back. First time I've heard it. It's been around a long time. He was a long time back. But it really stuck with me. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. So I ask you this morning, Who's your one person? Who's that person who right now needs you to start praying and start speaking to that person about Jesus while there is still time? Who's your one person? Don't be afraid to think of who that is. And then what can we expect if we start to approach finding lost people in the way that God does. Maybe we can expect some people to grumble that we care about such people. Maybe we can find ourselves aligning our own hearts with the heart of God who cares about lost things. Maybe we'll find ourselves sharing his great joy when lost things are found. Maybe that person is you this morning online or here in person, and maybe you have had a come-to-yourself moment like the prodigal son in the story that Jesus told. If so, then here's something else that you can have. You can count on a father who, when you come home to him, will have his arms open wide and he is waiting for you. That's a great end to that story, isn't it? And that can be just the beginning of your faith walk with Jesus Christ. So right now, we're going to ask ourselves, all of us, I hope, who are listening, who are looking at this subject together, what am I going to do with this? Because if you're a follower of Christ, if, if you're uh, this person who has been walking with Christ and you know what this is about already, then you and I both know we've got some honest conversation to have with the Lord. We've got some honest confronting to do in our own lives of fear. Am I going to be driven by what I'm afraid of? Am I going to be driven by what the Lord says is important and true? We need to come to some conclusions in our lives, don't we? If you're somebody who hasn't found the Lord yet, if you're a lost person, we don't apologize for using that word. That's what Jesus called this. It's not a good place to be. He wants for you to be found. 
Maybe this morning it means that you've got to, for the very first time in your life, acknowledge, yeah, I'm, I'm like that son. I've, I've blown it. I've gone away, but I'm ready to get back to where I'm supposed to be. And I need the Father. If that's you today, then we want very much to help you on that journey. You can begin today. You can become a follower of Jesus Christ today. And if that's you here in person, I'll be down here in the front. Please come speak to me. Please come speak to Brian or Brian or any of our elders, any of our staff, anybody here at Central who knows the Lord already ought to be able to sit down with you and show you in God's word what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So let us help you with that, please. Because we have this heart. We want to have the heart that Jesus said that we should have, a heart that cares about lost people. Let's stand up together. Let's pray together as we talk with the Lord about these decisions. Father, your word is very clear. The heart of Jesus is very clear, a heart that caused him to empty himself and take on the form of a servant and become obedient even to the point of death on the cross because he cares about lost people. Help us, Father, to have that kind of a heart, not one that easily looks away or dismisses something that is precious to you. Lord, there are many of us standing here right now uh, many watching online who need to acknowledge to you that we have allowed other priorities or we have allowed fear or dismissiveness or apathy, whatever it is, to pull us out of line. Steer us back, Father. Help us to have that heart that you have and to be pushed forward by that, not out of guilt, but out of genuine love for what you love. Father, for those this morning who are wrestling with this idea of getting their lives right with you, help them to see your great heart, your love, not, not the desire to condemn, but the desire to see lives forgiven and made right with you. Thank you, Lord, that there uh, were people in my life who helped me and who uh, strengthened that truth so that I could know you and follow you. And Lord, I just pray today that your truth, uh, your word will return to you, accomplishing the word that you've sent it to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.